Hello. Nice to see all your faces again, being away. <clears throat> Father, we ask that as we talk today, that in some ways it's a serious talk, but that it would find a place of grace in our lives. And, and maybe stir us to hold on to that which we have believed and have walked out. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so from that scripture from Amos, the thing that I, Imogen, the thing that I wanted us to hear there um, is that on that day, in that day, there's a day coming. Um, and, and hopefully as I talk today, and it's to, today's more of a meander than a, like a line-by-line talk, I'll get to that next week. But I want us to keep in the back of our head continually this understanding that there is a day coming. I think it's something I've spoken about quite a bit. Now, I'll just keep speaking about it, that it's so easy to get caught up in our today now, that we forget that there is a day coming when Jesus will come back in glory and, um, and things will be wrapped up and all incredible things are going to happen. And if we lose sight of that, we can lose sight of the everyday living that we have to do today and it's easy for us to fall away. Um, we've just come back from South Africa, as you know. Um, and in some ways, it was just a remarkable trip. In other ways, it was really sad. <clears throat> just because I think just it, it, it represented of the church around the world, it's, there's a lot of disarray. There's a lot of people that have just said, you know, we're done. We, we've given up on this thing called faith. There are people that have kind of transition to kind of more into Buddhism, which actually doesn't believe there's a God anyway. And so it's kind of, it's kind of a fascinating thing. And, and relationships of 40 years standing, people are pulling apart from each other. Marriages are breaking down. It was, it, from that, it was like, I don't know, fascinating is the wrong word. It was actually quite troubling. Um, but at the same time, there were some wonderful things that happened. And so as I came back, I realized we were still talking into the, into the area of the parables on the kingdom. And Brian asked, could I pick up his? He, he, he's, you know, he's got three children now. and he needed So I said, okay, I'll pick this up. But before I got into these last parables, I wanted to kind of do a meander through the text before those parables that help, hopefully help us see something of what Jesus was intending when he told those parables. Um, there's always context to what... Um, to what Jesus was doing. He never just randomly threw things out. There was always a message that he gave that was building through the, the course of his life and the course of the journey that he was taking. And this, we're going to be reading from Matthew starting, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we'll start in Matthew 21 is where we'll kind of pick up the story. It's the triumphal entry. Jesus has come back to Jerusalem and he's in that final stage, preparation to go to the cross and he lays out a whole bunch of things. And so... If we, I'm just going to scan this. You don't, if you have your Bibles, yeah, this is a wonderful time to have a Bible. And there's some in the, in the things there. You should open it. And, or you should, if I tell you you should, then it feels like I'm commanding you. You, it, you are welcome to open your Bible in Matthew 21. And in Matthew 21 and 22, you, you have Jesus coming in and starting to this incredible interaction with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Is the predominant thing. He starts, they start questioning him and he starts giving them feedback. And as we know, 
from the scriptures, Jesus is pretty harsh with those religious leaders because he's always accusing them of leading God's people out of the kingdom rather than into that which God had for them. They, were, they, were, they made it hard for people to embrace everything that God had laid out for his people. Jesus came and said, I'm here. Well, John the Baptist came first, and then Jesus repent. Why? Wow. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's available to you. Anybody can enter it. All you have to do is change the way that you think, and you can enter in and participate with God in his redemptive movement on the earth of bringing the kingdom to bear. And so the Sermon on the Mount is, starts with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And as we've said before, that wasn't something we, they were attaining to. We don't have to attain to poorness of spirit. He was looking at the people there and saying, you who are poor in spirit, the kingdom's for you as well. Because the religious leaders had blocked them out. And he was saying, no, it's available to you. All you have to do is enter in. It's available. It's around you. The kingdom of God is at hand. And it was inaugurated. It didn't come in its completion yet. It was inaugurated. But it was here. And so the whole of Jesus' talk, if you follow Matthew, is about the kingdom of God coming to bear on the earth and through and in God's people. So when you read chapters 21 and 22, you, you find Jesus starting to interact with the, the Pharisees. He cleanses the temple, and then he gives this parable, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the tenants, and the parable of the wedding feast. And I don't think we covered all of those. But in those, what's he starting to say is, guys, you have to understand there's a kingdom priority in the one on uh, the, the parable of the wedding feast, it's the king has thrown this party, this big feast, and he's welcoming people. Those who are supposed to be there, come, be involved. And they said, no, actually, we're not coming because I've got to go look after the cow, and I've got to go to my business, and I've got to go look after this, and I've got to go do that, and I've got to do this. And, the, and Jesus said, well, the king then says, well, let's take other people and bring them in. Because the kingdom was available to God's people, and they had excuses why they did not want to enter in. And God said, if you're not going to enter in, then I'm going to bring others in. Those who, in your eyes, don't qualify, and in kind of in a Jewish world would have been Gentiles, those outside of the Jewish faith. But it would also have included the poor, the marginalized, women, all those. He was saying, no, you come. You come be part of this. And I think he was saying we need to prioritize the fact that God is calling us to participate in kingdom life. Here's the rub. Well, not the rub, the, the, the point. It's really hard to actually live that out every day faithfully for your whole life. We'll see as we get a little more into that into the text. And he, and he goes on and he talks about paying taxes. And we're now in chapter 22. And he talks about the Sadducees and the resurrection. And then, you know, there's the question, what is the greatest commandment? And he has this lynch thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. At the heart of kingdom life, the heart of what Jesus is wanting to bring is to see a people that will love the Lord with their whole being, and that will be translated into the way that they love and interact with those around them. And we did the parable of the Good Samaritan to explain who was the neighbor. And then we get into chapter 23, and it's a nasty, nasty chapter. 
It's against the Pharisees and it's against the Sadducees and their seven woes. It's against the religious. It's against those who try to make it difficult for people to live in the kingdom of God. It's for those um, you often find in, in the prophets, the prophets are saying, Woe to you teachers and you shepherds, because you have not done what I asked you to do. You have led the people astray, or you have fleeced the people, or you have used them for your own benefit, which is a very scary thing if you're a pastor or a leader or a preacher. To be careful that you don't use God's people for your benefit. All I do here today is hopefully encourage you to the life in God that you're meant to live. It's not for my benefit. I can't use you for my benefit. There's judgment there. And in these woes, you see these things starting to come out. A judgment against the, the leadership who have who've just not done well with God's people. They've been unfaithful with God's people. Now, one of the woes, and I'll just read this one. It's just one of many. Starting in verse 23 of chapter 23. is woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Hypocrite in, in the Greek is a, word, a person who wears a mask. Stage actor wore a mask. That's what a hypocrite is. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe your mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Now, I'm not giving a talk on tithing here. I'm giving a talk on what does it mean to live in the kingdom and as what God's people weren't doing at the leaders. They weren't giving a concern towards justice and mercy and faithfulness. They weren't living lives that represented God to the world. And God was coming with justice and mercy. He was coming for the marginalized. He was coming for those who no one wanted to associate with. And he was bringing life to them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For to you, the kingdom of God is available. And I think we, as generally middle class, upper class, whatever sort of people, we have to be so careful that we do not receive that woe towards us that we have forgotten justice and mercy. Because we've got so caught up with our own little thing. We're building our own little empires and we're not saturating ourselves in the kingdom of Jesus. And then we, we forget that there are others out there that God is wanting to meet and minister to through our lives. Because the end of Matthew is the Great Commission, isn't it? Summing it all up is go. Go. Go into your world. Make disciples. But it wasn't only mercy and justice. It was also this idea of faithfulness. Well done, good and successful servant. He's not going to say that one day. Well done, good and whatever. No, well done, good and faithful. What does faithful mean? It means that you, there's all parables about it. You took that which was not your own and you handled it well. So towards leaders, you took people that were not your own, they belonged to Jesus, and you handled them well. To resources and time, whatever, you handle, you're faithful. Not only that, but you, you are faithful to the end. The end of the matter is better than its beginning. These you ought to have done the tithing and all that, without neglecting the others. 
you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. I mean, it's quite a, that's quite a, quite a harsh indictment against people. And I want us, I think the thing that was on my heart as I came back and as I thought is, well, I, I don't want us to hear the words, woe are we. That's a terrible thing to hear. I want to hear, no, well done. You guys are, no, no one's perfect and God's not looking for that. He's asking us to enter into this life with him. Then we get to, and if you want to go to the text, Dan, in Matthew 23, starting in verse 37. I feel like at the end of this, these woes, here comes this, this compassion of Jesus. Here comes this, the heart of Jesus. Here comes this graciousness, this, what he feels. It says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. People of God, the center of God's worship is in Jerusalem, the ten- right there. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I have sent my prophets, I've sent my people to encourage and stern you, and you've stoned them, and you've killed them. The parables around that speak about that. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not? The heart of Jesus is to gather us. The heart of Jesus is to love on us, to take us under his wings, to protect us and help us to grow and to feed us. But we resist that. Because why? Because we think we can do it by ourselves. We think we don't need that. We think we don't need nurturing. When in reality we really do. See your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He has this compassionate heart of God. Now, I'm going to read the next chapter, the whole of the chapter, chapter 24. It leads into chapter 25, which are three parables, one of which Brian has covered and two which we're going to cover over the next two weeks. But it leads us into that. Now, as we go through it, I'm going to somehow try and unpack some of those things. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now think if you were, if you were a Jewish person and someone comes to you and says, the very center, the very heart of your worship is going to be torn down. Because the center of Jewish worship was the temple, was it not? And Jesus saying, it's going to be torn down. Another place says, well, I'm the temple. I'll be torn down in three days. I'll be rebuilt. But in this text, he's actually talking about the physical temple that's going to be shattered. A day is coming when that's going to happen. And we know in AD 69, AD 70, whatever it was, Jerusalem was ransacked and the temple was destroyed. And they raised up abominations on the altar. We'll come to that in a moment. The very center of, of worship was being pulled down. The kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus brings to bear, always will pull down that which is not the way God wants it to be. It's someday or not, it will happen in my life, in your life. 
There are things that I'm building in my life that are the antithesis of what the kingdom is meant to be doing in my life. Those will one day come down. The center of my personal worship, the center of where I have set my affections, whatever those might be, they will one day be ripped out so that the true center is made known. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things, when these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. As I, as I was in my little trip now, that was the one thing. There's a sense of weirdness rising up and people being led astray from just a narrow, secure path of following Jesus. People are going here and there and they're believing this and they're believing that and woo. Jesus warned some things. Now, I'm not so presumptuous to think that we've got it all right and we are on the straight and narrow and everybody else is the bad people. No ways. We could be doing that as well. So there's a warning to us. There's a warning to me as a leader, to Brian and I as we lead. There's a warning that we need to stay with that which Jesus wants us to stay with and not to be led astray. And there are multitudes of teachings all over coming around. I mean, there Hundreds of thousands of different teachers and leaders and prophets. And it's like pulling people here, pulling people there. And there's a sense of the Holy Spirit wanting to draw people back to the simplicity of what it means to walk out a gospel life under the rule of Jesus in the community of God's people. Does that make sense? I want to read something from... Has anyone read Life Together by Bonhoeffer? So Bonhoeffer was a, a German pastor that was you know, put in the concentration camps, and the day before they were liberated, he was hung. But a great theologian, this is a great book, I haven't read it for years and years, but I picked it up again and started read, reading it. I'll just read you two bits here about community. Every human dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. What's he saying? I'll let me read the second one because I think this is a little quote. Christian brotherhood, and now we, we include the sisters because this was written a long time ago, so it was, is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we must and may participate. And so what this, this question is, as we walk this life of Jesus, we say, you know, I'll choose to be in community or not. And if I'm going to community, I want this to be the things that interest me in community. What he's saying there is actually, no, 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 Jesus birthed community. And we enter into that which he's already doing and we participate. We don't reshape it. And so what happens is that we, we in community, quote, but it's around what we desire. Or we don't want to go to that community because they don't do that or they don't do this. So eventually we reshaping church 
church community, around our personal needs and desires, rather than around that which Jesus has established and asked us to live in. That doesn't mean we can't do other things. It just means we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, we don't establish community. Jesus had already established community. And in, when, we, when Jesus sets his affection on us and saves us, we enter into that which he's already established, and we participate in that. Does it make sense? And we have to see that. Otherwise, it becomes preferential. I don't like this anymore. I'll go here. I don't like this anymore. I'll go there. But when you get there, you'll be something else you don't like. And we have to find a way to walk out of faith that's robust, that challenges us one another. Because actually, when you read the letters, it's all about us challenging one another to stick on the path. It's this encouragement, the stirring, spur one another on, hold on to, I mean, the, especially the Hebrews 10 passages are so wonderful. Is, is helping us. No, stick with the plot. Stay on. Stay on. Yes, you can. You're going to see this through. You're going to go. Let's carry on with the readings. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are but the beginning of birth pangs. Okay? I reckon if you underline each one of those, it's happening everywhere. We, we live in a time where that's happening, but that's been going on for 2,000 years. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. Oh, no, just can't. Can I have a pen? I want to block that bit out of the text. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away. Now, I'm not, I'm not presupposing that this applies only to our time. I think this applies to the time of the tribulation. So I'm going to lay my colors to the mast, and just for what it is, I believe we live in the tribulation already. I'm an amillennialist. I believe the tribulation began at the, when Jesus came and it will end when the, Jesus comes back. I don't believe this, there's this other stuff. Okay? Now, if you disagree with me, it's okay. I'm just happy for you to be wrong. <laughs> That's a joke. But I think we live in a tribulation time. I think, I think we've been living there since the beginning. So these things are applied a thousand years ago and they apply to us today. And they're going to keep applying until Jesus comes back. We live in troubled times. Faith is under persecution. I never thought I would see in my lifetime the breakdown of Christianity so quickly. Where Christianity was a favored thing, was the center of the town, and now is marginalized and hated. I never thought I'd see that in my time, and I'm not that old. But it happens. When I became a pastor, at least in South Africa, and it's changed there too, on Mondays you could go to the best golf courses and play for free because you were a pastor. It was like you were a favored person because the church was seen in high light. Not anymore. Now it's like, don't tell you a Christian. Are you a pastor? No, I'm a teacher. You know what I'm saying? It's like we've lost favor. There's a sense of the world is crushing in on us. If you're a Christian today, it's like, have you 
kissed your brains goodbye. And when I want to talk with someone who's a Buddhist, I want to say, I better not say what I was going to say. <laughs> and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Is that a, can I say that line again? The love of many will grow cold. Now, what I'm not wanting to do today is give you doomsday end stuff. That's what I'm saying. I'm just saying we live in a time, and it's been all of time. It just, it's more pronounced now because there are more people on the earth, actually. So it's, and, you know, everything's on television. So you can see more things than, what, than years ago. But the love of many is growing cold. I've got so many people who just don't want to follow Jesus anymore. What has Jesus ever done for me, is the question. You know? Or as one of my friends said, I, I couldn't believe I, I, it made me so sad. He said, when I go to church, I think about the beach. When I go to the beach, I think about God. So let's go to the beach. I thought, you've missed the point, bro. Someone I never thought that would happen to in her lifetime. Here's the horrible bit is that sometimes I find my own heart wanting to go there. So there's no, there's no criticism. I'm not judging anybody. I, sometimes I find myself wanting to go there. And I have to contend. I have to fight. No, no, no. I remember when Jesus set his affection upon me. I remember that day very clearly. I was not looking for him. He found me. There's no ways I'm abandoning him now. It changed my life. We have to contend for that. <clears throat> but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, then the end will come. And so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel... And that's in Daniel 11, I think it's verse 32, speaks about the desolation, the, whatever the abomination of desolation happens in AD 70, around about there, when the Jerusalem is, is invaded, the temple is destroyed, and they set up an image on the altar. That's an abomination to the people of God. It actually happened. But you know, the thing that we have to understand about prophecy, it's very important to understand, is that prophecy often had an immediate outworking and a long-term outworking. So a prophet would say that God is coming to restore his people, and he did, but it had long-term meanings that God would later also restore his people. You often see that with the prophetic word. So here, there's this prophetic word from Daniel that's speaking about this abomination that actually happened. It actually happened at least twice, maybe three times, but it speaks of, a, of the end as well when these things will happen. When in the midst of God's people, an abominations will arise. And it's important for us to somehow just keep that in our minds. Standing in the holy place, then, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant... And for those who are nursing infants in those days. This happened in AD 69, 70. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. <laughs> for then, you will be, then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human 
would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Whoever, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. I'm not going to unpack that little thing for the moment. That's a whole other thing. Just get this. When Jesus comes back, everybody will know. And everybody will see. It's not going to be some secret. No, the special people in the wilderness or the special people in the inner room. No, everybody will know. Jesus is on hand. All right. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then there will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree... Learn its lesson. As soon as this branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows. <clears throat> Have you noticed how many people seem to know? They write books about it. And blogs, no one ever repents. They just rip people off financially. People sell up everything and go onto that hill because that's where God's coming back on that day because the prophet said so. But Jesus himself, the Lord of glory, said, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, not the Son. What's he saying? Not even me. I don't know when I'm coming back. I'm the one coming back and I have no idea. But the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. hundred years he took to build the ark, and they still didn't believe. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one left. Therefore, there's the word I want you to hear today. Therefore, stay awake. Not in the meeting now, you can fall asleep here if you want to. Stay awake. Be alert. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. On that day, the prophets prophesied throughout. I gave... Now, Heidi, three scriptures of a many. On that day, there is a day coming when there will be a reckoning and Jesus is coming back and all things will be sorted out. And if you are not ready, you might miss it. Stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Isn't that pretty plain? 
You've got to be ready. Now, when you get to the next parables that we're going to look at, this covers some of that stuff. We have to be ready. You have to be ready. You can't wait until you retire. You can't wait until this or wait until that. You, along with what you are doing, you have to let the kingdom come and embrace the kingdom into your life and live the kingdom life doing what you're doing. You don't have to sell everything, give up your job and go live on an apple palm. As attractive as that might be. What you're called to do is embrace the kingdom and kingdom ways and kingdom life and kingdom values and kingdom people into the way that you live and that you stay awake, you're ready, you're alert, waiting. Lord, I am here. Every day is yours. And when I go to work, I work diligently, but I do it to your glory, not to my glory. When I do this, when I do that, it's to your glory, Lord. I'm ready. I'm living, awake, alert, waiting. You know, the fact is, the return of Jesus might not happen in our lifetime, but man, the day is coming for all of us. And it will be like that day. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. What's he saying? Are you being faithful with that which the Lord has entrusted to you? Are you being faithful? Are you being faithful with your time? Are you being faithful with your family? Are you raising your kids in the ways of the Lord? Are you being faithful to obedience to Jesus? You know, the Great Commission ends with teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's part of the Great Commission, that we are become obedient to Jesus. Not to me, not to a leader, to Jesus. Be obedient. Because that day is coming. And when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? When he comes back, will he find faithfulness? Will he come back and say, oh, I see, I entrusted you. This is the, the talents. Well, the, you spoke from the miners. I, I, I trusted you with something and you use it wisely. Come, let me add to that which I gave you. And those who said, oh, that's good. I'll wait another day. I'll, just, I'll take that and give it to another. And all of us, from, from time to time, put off till tomorrow what we need to do today. There's not one of us that has not done that or continues to do that. I do it on a fairly regular basis. And I just, this challenge is no, tomorrow might not come. Today is today. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we've taken that as a picture of hell. That's not what that text is about actually. That text, he's making a dramatic image of what it's like for those who just do not do the things that he asked us to do and be faithful to those things. Guys, the, our world is chaotic. The church is in chaos. But we have an opportunity to live a faithful life following hard after Jesus with others. And you know, can I say something? Can I use a word? All of you somewhere have pissed me off. 
But you know what? It's okay. Because I'm sure I've done that to you. Not Brian. I've never pissed Brian. No, because why? Because I'm human and you're human. But that's, not a, that's no reason to abandon. We would, we'll just become by ourselves, lonely. No, that's our reason to engage. That's the, our reason to extend grace. That's when we say, oh, he's imperfect, I'm imperfect, she's imperfect. Let's let grace flow. So that we can encourage ourselves to keep on the road, keep on walking. So that we become the best that God wants us to be. I'm um, just looking through some of the notes here. You know, Linda and I sometimes talk, and today we, Linda asked me a question, and I was in the wrong mood, and I got a little frustrated, a little edgy, and I was jet-lagged, and I was pre prepping and all that. But it's like, what are we doing as a church? Are we truly being God's people? It's not the numbers. Numbers doesn't really make it. You can have a large church that's not doing God's thing. You can have a small church that's not doing God's thing. You can have a large church that is doing God's thing. But what are we doing? I'm not, say, I'm not saying we're not. I'm just saying it's a question. Are we living God life? Are we stirring and encouraging one another to stick with the plan? Are we living a kingdom life that is attractive to other people and drawing people in? We've never been a church that's drawn people in by programs. We've always done it relationally. I don't want to change that. But that implies that each one of us need to engage with our world in a way that, oh, I'm a kingdom person, and I'm not bashing someone over the head with the Bible. I'm living in such a way that people say, you are different. What is that? Say, so, come, I'll show you a community that's different. Um. I think there's an urgency. And the reason it's urgent because we don't know what tomorrow holds. If we knew what tomorrow held, if we knew for certain that we would be here in 10 years' time, we could live differently. But we don't know. I have a friend, I don't know if I said this in the beginning, I mean, he's in his early 70s, he's a robust Bike riding, scuba diving, rough guy. Just a, he's got degenerative brain disease. He can, can't talk. Just like that. If I thought I'm going to live to 80 and I'm going to be robust and strong, maybe I, but I don't know. And you don't know. So as we've spoken about the parables of the kingdom, it's saying the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God, the next one we're going to do is like ten virgins. Five were ready and five were not. And the parable before said, come, I'm ready. The wedding feast is happening. Come. No, I'm not ready. I've got to do about my business. I've got to see a cow. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Miss out. 
The kingdom of God is at hand. And the, the word that describes our activity in the kingdom of God is repent. Which is quite simply, change your way of thinking. Repent. John the Baptist, Jesus, repent. The end of, the, of Acts, Paul in, in his final days, what's he do? He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He would have been calling people to repentance. Change, come on, enjoy, embrace this. It's a life, it's exciting, it's, it's adventurous, it's beautiful. You can go to the nations. It's just a beautiful thing. Embrace it. It's challenging, it's stirring. And when you're struggling, man, there are going to be women, men and women around you that will encourage you and help you and you'll have all these new brothers and sisters and it's going to be marvelous. That's the intention. <clears throat> Should we go back to Amos quickly? And read that little text again. If I can find Amos. He's such a small guy. See, the best, um, the best um, page in the Bible often is the, the, the one that has the contents. Because it tells you the page number. I find that very helpful. Chapter 9. <clears throat> in that day, it doesn't say, in that day I will come and crush you all and I will come and shatter you and you've all lived foolishly and I'm going to rip you to pieces. I'm gonna... no, it doesn't say that. It says, in that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as the days of old. That they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. I mean, can you just can you imagine what that looks like? I mean, the guy's just boom, and it's, it's exploded in growth, and the guy's reaping. I mean, it's, I mean it's, and it, they're overtaking each other, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountain shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. And I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. And they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. And they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. And I will plant them on their land. And they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. That's the promise. That's what's coming. And this masses to speak about that. 